So my Halloween costume is going to be Dog the Bounty Hunter. Okay, I actually kind of dig that. Uh, yeah, I just need to get the hair extensions. If I would have thought of this sooner, maybe I would have just grown it out like I did when I was like 13 to be Ozzy. Huh. Um, but I need the clothes is really what's going to make this work. You also need to get into a tanning booth. I need to get a tanning booth, and I well maybe I, yeah I need to get a tanning booth. I need to get tats, <laughs> and I need to start walking around with just packs of cigarettes to hand to people. <laughs> <laughs> After I, I uh, beat the shit out of them. Yeah, I'll pay, I would pay to see that. But <laughs> no, I'm kind of torn on my Halloween costume. I'm either going to be an idiot and buy one of those inflatable T Rexes and just run around because why not? Right. I can do that any time of the year. But I also uh, been thinking about uh, going to Squirrely Dan from Letterkenny because I got the overalls, I got the beard. I just need to let my hair grow out a little bit more. Right. But the crazier thing is I found a T-shirt on Amazon that says, that's what I appreciate about you. I kind of want I go really hard for Halloween, and it's almost even too early to think about it. It's not even October yet. When we're recording this, it's not even October. Well, October, man. <laughs> like if we want to get all, all here right <laughs> all right so this is actually our sixth episode now isn't it yeah so welcome everybody to another episode of the modern method uh this time we're going to be talking about exploring and finding American artifacts in a way that you wouldn't normally think. So when you think of American art artifacts, I'm immediately going to think of like literal things that would be in a museum. Right. And I'm going to explain this background in a second. Um, I'm excited in Connecticut. So <laughs> we'll get there, I promise. But when we're talking about finding American artifacts, we want to look at things that people wouldn't normally associate as something that is purely American. We're looking for things that influence our culture and extend around the world, but are but are just one of our own things. Yeah. And something that people either can try to imitate or maybe it infiltrates another culture like in the Ukraine or something. And I always use that as an example just because I notice it so much with things like yeah. McDonald's and everything as a brand and as something that that is just part of our culture that you wouldn't think about. Right. Um, that other people want. You can bring them there, but it is just, just not the same thing. And people just can't replicate that stuff. We don't have fast food chains that are legit from Germany. There's not a fast food chain restaurant that is coming here. Fast food in general is its own thing. And, and actually, we'll get to that point in a minute, too. So pretty much what we're going to start doing is just sort of walking through American history in general until we get up to modern times for things that we can understand a little bit better. Like I said before, when you think of American artifacts and you start thinking about, well, the beginning of, of the nation, so like the American Revolution, you're thinking sort of clothes, colonial memorabilia, things like that, weaponry or old fortifications, because when you first come here, you can't just sit around. You, can't, you don't just have a city. You have, you have right. citadels, basically. Yeah. And... Um... No, going off of that, like you said, like you you think of it, and you, the first thing you think of is something in a museum. And it was funny, like we were we were kind of discussing earlier, um, like talking about even even before like America was clo uh, colonial colonized. Wow, I can't talk today. 
easy. <laughs> but um, no, so like Native Americans, like other than like the stuff we took from them or learned from them, there's not a lot of actual artifacts you can find. So I actually did find a lot of artifacts, artifactual, like, sort of evidences from pre-BC, hmm. believe it or not. Like, just things that, again, nobody's even really going to know about because they're not, they're not common things that you, but, like, even cliff, cliff dwellings, like the ones that we have out yeah. here in Colorado, those as just an artifact are incredible things. But they're not something right. that, that infiltrates other cultures. And that's a very Western thing. That is not something that, especially on the East Coast, you're ever even going to think about. It's not something that we did. It's not, it's part of our culture in the way that it was here, but it's not. Right. So fast forward from like the American Revolution and we're looking at like the American frontier. Uh, exploration days, which again ties into like things that are out West. Like, and, and so much of this is uncolonized in the first place. You can drive four hours through Utah and not see anybody other than maybe another car because there's like two highways and people get from place to place and want to go travel and stuff. But it is dirt. Actually, so earlier in the spring, um, I visited Moab Arches National Park. Yeah. And there was a little, there was a tiny, tiny settlement in there that was just one house where one guy went and was either... I don't remember what he was doing. He went out there and he lived out there with his with his wife and they had a couple kids or whatever while they lived there. And that guy is from Ohio. And this was like 1870s. Really? And just went out there. And that wasn't a thing. That wasn't a park yet or anything. Right. And he just went out until he was, I guess, sick and tired of walking in the desert because how do you even know that's there? <laughs> Set up a tent and then built a cabin or whatever which i don't know how he did all this by himself these logs are literally three feet wide a piece huh. and he had this shit stacked i know his wife didn't do it and then he stayed there for years and there isn't even any like there's barely any water there there's nothing and it's dirt yeah i just don't understand people that felt the need to do that and then after i don't know 20 30 years he went home what? back to ohio like, so he obviously had the ability to do that and the means to do it and then decided not to. I'm so I'm wrapping my mind around how do you do all that work and just leave? Right. You're just like, I built a home. I survived. Yeah, I'm out. But like log, little tiny log. And I'm not saying, like it was probably only five feet tall. In there. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, just a tall enough for him to get his hands up and stack it. And then that's how he left it. It's not like he went and bought a ladder at Home Depot or something. He came back and put it on. But, right. like, I mean, it took me forever to even get there in my car. Yeah. I just don't get it. But things like that, also, like, pieces of, like, artifactual things from American history and stuff, which is when we can start talking about, like, American Indian sorts of things and all that with all the right. different tribes. I mean, we still have a lot of that in our culture. A lot of the namesakes out here come from that. Sioux Falls, obviously, coming from like the that tribe. Yep. And that's just out here. I mean, it extends all the way down to Ohio or all the way down to Florida and yeah. all that. I am not very well-versed on tribes and where they came from, all that stuff, which I should be. I mean, I'm I'm pretty decent at it just because I'm pretty good at geography at times, at times, but 
No, yeah, and it's just, it's amazing. Like, the difference just in between the tribes across the country is, like, kind of how it was, like, in the, after the Revolutionary War, going into the War of 1812, even going, especially in the Civil War. Right. So in the Civil War, that's when everything obviously exploded then, because that's, those are, that is, that is just the perfect storm for at least two very separate cultures finally separating from one big giant thing and what they not to get too much into like the psychological side of this or anything but one thing that was brought up to me i think my aunt brought it up to me a few years ago was really the south's right to secede Every, whenever anybody thinks about the civil war especially you know progressives and stuff now they're thinking well, we had to do that and we had to fight the South because they were pro-slavery and that's just how it was when really it wasn't just black and white like that. The whole reason that we were even one nation in the first place was to fight against tyranny from across the ocean. So right. the, the way that the Constitution was written was not the United States, it was these United States. So now right. these, un these separate states that are just uniting now for one cause are doing this thing to free themselves because they are independent United States, not one nation of United States. Right. So the South, in my my, if you were going to take this to court, if there was any way to settle this in court, and you <laughs> and you said that the South had the right to secede, I think that you would be right. Yeah. Because they were never one on one thing they were never right. it was never one but <laughs> that's not the way that it evolved and obviously people were willing to fight over it and one side lost right which stopped that from happening but but put everything else aside who's to say that it isn't a state's right to secede and be its own thing now it is because that happened now yeah. it is written that you are not doing that yeah um, but beforehand, I don't really see why. So anyways, so to get back to the point is that the two cultures separating and they have their own special artifacts within them. Yeah. I mean, even as far as like the, obviously like the, the folk songs and the togetherness that was sort of felt either between this side or this side, regardless yeah. of what weird reason Robert E. Lee had right. for doing that. Um, <laughs> And all these, all these, all these things that follow us to the present day. Oh, and so much of the South is also losing its culture, which I also don't like. I don't like the, I don't like the idea of maybe necessarily like the statues and stuff like that we were talking about before. Um, yeah. Maybe having a statue of Robert E. Lee up is not the best thing to do. Maybe, maybe you could do without that. For yeah. now. Unless it's at a Civil War battlefield, then it's got to stay there. Well, yeah. I'm not talking about erasing history. I'm talking about maybe just not glorifying that guy, that one guy. Right. Or like um, statues of Jefferson Davis, the Confederate president. Exactly. And that was obviously, you know, first thing to cut. Like, it just, it has no place anymore. Yeah. Um, but we have this, this then split between the crazy... Well, one, it was once a United Nation. It yeah. basically, even if it wasn't written that way, everything was pretty much 
the same for the most part throughout. I mean, you had you had people farming and, and doing all these things. There were slaves in the north, yes. There were, I mean, there was trade happening with all down the coastline and stuff like that. You just happened to have New York in the north, which is the only difference. And then yeah. when manufacturing started to take over throughout what has become the Rust Belt, that obviously is its own thing because we also have the Great Lakes. There are just different geological features that have made up the difference between the cultures to some degree. Mm. And it's also not as flat and wide open as traditional South is. So they allow you to do other things, but then eventually, obviously, they just split from each other. So, so we take that as it splits and then fast forward to the turn of the century into the Industrial Revolution when right. things are now not only they're not being forced, I wouldn't say, because at this point, it's so much easier. You have things. And I'm not going to say that the cotton gin was total industrial revolution. I, I wouldn't consider it that way. But that would be one of those artifacts that I would say belongs. Yeah, because I think that that could have helped, like, the idea going in forward into the industrial revolution. Right. But, I mean, we have this, we have new processes of making steel now. We have all of these new things things that help us do things like build skyscrapers and stuff like that. And I would say New York altogether is obviously just one huge American artifact. But then oh, so is sure. something like Savannah. Yeah. I mean, Savannah being the first planned city in the United States, built like a grid, and actually, like, there was thought put into it. It wasn't just, all right, this is where we're landing, let's set up camp and then just build as we go. Yeah. Um. But then once you get into the early 20th century, then photography is not an American invention. But when you look at it for things like if there if photographs weren't a thing, the FBI would not be a thing. Right. Because um, when we finally got a hold of being able to take pictures normally and like you didn't have to have a lab, well, you have to have a lab, but you didn't have to be some experimental <laughs> scientist or whatever to go around and do this. And right. photography became a huge thing in muckraking. For sure. Which then advances things like your rights and stuff like that. Like you, like you have, what was that movie that Sylvester Stallone was in that was, um, that was about workers' rights and stuff like that? Uh, right. Something Fist. Or was it just Fist? I don't know. This was the organization that he was in in the movie, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. What's the name of that movie? And something like that. But again, if we didn't have muckrakers taking actual pictures of these things happening, then what life is like in Hoovervilles during the Depression and stuff like that, and right. and being able to advance the quality of life for the majority of people, then we wouldn't we wouldn't absolutely not be at this level that we are now. Right. Well, real quick, real quick, I don't even think of this. With um, I was talking to somebody last week, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm like I've been trying to look for new music, and I love older music." And she go, and she's like, "But it's weird. Like, there's a period you can't find a whole lot of music between the 20s and the 40s." And I'm like, "You know, that was a Great Depression, right?" <laughs> right. Also, what were they recording? Jazz I mean, I and like just old blues, and not a lot of it. And maybe some bluegrass, that's about it. Right. And those things are just, they're just archival recordings of life by the people who lived it. Oh, yeah. Which is the other thing. So when we talk about music and movies, 
and the 20s when both of those things really started coming out. Although I think, yeah, 1915 is when that movie Birth of a Nation came out. Yeah. There are people in that movie that were alive when the Civil War was happening. So we literally have footage. Now, it's not footage of the Civil War, but we have footage of reenactments of things that happened pretty damn close to the time they happened because that would have only been 40, 50 years after the Civil War. Right. 50 years, I guess, after it ended. Yeah. Um, with people in it that were alive, or at least their parents were, or even died in that war. Right. So, so movies as, a, as cultural artifacts are becoming so important in that sense now because we also have tons of movies that show us what life exactly was like in the 20s in the 30s in the 40s in the 50s people now talking and you're able to see and in color and all this other shit of it's it'll it will give people 100 years from now a glimpse into what life would be like if we could look back at the 1850s and see that would man that would be awesome which is why they have, I think the, I thought it was the Library of Congress has particular movies that they have protected huh. to save these things as part of our history. I don't know. Which I, which I think is really cool because The Graduate is one of them. Really? The Graduate is saved by the government. If it's, I may be misspeaking when I say Library of Congress, something like that, an organization like that has an old copy of that movie that they are protecting Hmm. because it's so important to what's going on because it i mean regardless if the story is true or not they these are just things that make us who we are right well that's even like um oh what was that like 2010 oh not 2010 2009 when the uh, history channel came out with world war ii in color yeah oh yeah and you could see what happened in the war in color. You're like. And that's really the first one that we have the ability to watch that too. I mean, those were never put together as narratives. They were just, it was just people pointing and shooting and whatever happened. But because we have so much documentation and that was so all over the world. And obviously the BBC is so good at making shit into stuff. Right. Well, and that's the other thing too. Like you, the difference between World War Two and Vietnam is. World War II, there, you rarely saw action on TV. You know, you didn't even have TV then. You went to somewhere and watched it on a projector. Right. Vietnam and that's happens. if you chose to go there to do that. Right. Vietnam happens. You can watch it at home. Right. You just flip the station and you see that, I don't know, 2,000 people know died today. and Right. They're dragging out like a soldier who's missing a hand or something. Right. Like, it's um, just crazy. It's just crazy how the, the switch changed. Like, the, the wow, again. I have a real tough trouble. Real tough trouble talking today. I noticed. Yeah, I don't know what my problem is. So, I did get this list that I found online of the 100 most essential folk songs. Okay. In American. Uh, yeah, in American history, because they're American folk songs. Number one, and we started talking about this, 
this land is your land. Mm-hmm. You would think the Star Spangled Banner would be up there and stuff like that. And this, I would say, is an anthem. It really is. And a lot of artists, the 20th century, have even probably even today have covered it at some point. Well, so many people have. Um, But I can't remember the last time I ever heard or like saw this song. Not at school. Like, not in grade school. I think the last time I heard it was a few years ago. I had it for one of my Memorial Day parties. It was on a playlist, and it was off uh, Lee Greenwood's album when he did God Bless the USA. Okay. That's, like, the last time I really heard it. Right. And honestly, country songs anymore are... Country songs or bluegrass songs, if anybody even listens to new bluegrass anymore are the only ones that are patriotic. Yeah. Rap is absolutely not like that. And I understand. Music is an outlet for people to express themselves and this and that. But when that's all you ever sing about, like you can't, I can't respect it. I can't respect the, the genre is different. I I can respect the genre of music, but I can't think of, maybe one person that doesn't just bitch about their rights to do this, this, and this, and there's not a problem with it, but what other genre is there other than country that talks about how good it is just to be here? I mean, I mean, Jay-Z saying about New York and Empire State of Mind, and that was all positive, so I give Jay-Z credit for that. Yeah. But like, other than that, who does that? Oh, there's a few here and there. You got to dig. I know that for sure. I'm, doing, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but I can't right now. But yeah, I mean, like, there, I mean, all genres of music have songs that talk about this, how nice it is just being here, like country music does. And I get it, country music is more of the simpler style of it, but that's not everybody. So, I mean, maybe it's just know. because the majority of them just talk this way and you hear it more often than not in support of things from country music than against. Yeah. Maybe well, that's just where I'm coming from. Now, what, one song that's, so Bob Dylan's also on, he's number two. Bob Dylan's Bob Blown in the Wind. Right? Oh, yeah. That's a good um, one. But one that I thought, almost didn't belong on at least the top 10 is the song Suzanne by Leonard Cohen. I like the song. I didn't know if it was a folk song or not. I I thought that he wrote it. Hmm. I don't know. I'm looking it up. (laughs) I mean, he released it in the 60s. Okay. But I did not know that that was not by him. And you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. I guess I have to do more research into that, but that just surprises me. Yeah. Anyways, if you haven't heard that song, it is 
that is actually really good. Um, but I just don't see it being in there above some other stuff. Because we can also talk about old colonial songs like Yankee Doodle. Right. If we want to be basic. <laughs> well, right. But who doesn't know that? Not wrong. And I guess it's it's less of a folk song and more of a nursery song. And probably a combination of the both. But I mean, you got to think way back then, like how number one, how different music is, is eons, ahead, uh, you know, I had to wear that when the Yankee Doodle came out. But that also predates America. Mm hmm. I don't, I'm trying to see when it, I'm seeing online that it predates the Seven Years' War, which happened in the 1750s. Hmm. But it's, it's strictly North American, though, is where that song was inspired from. Okay. Hmm. So anyways... We can take things like that, and and now we're talking about music and, and movies and just, like, entertainment in general and how that brings people together. Right. Things like that, and that in itself is an artifact. But what about something that that takes those things and utilizes media in such a way that it creates a whole different subculture within the United States? And for that, I'm going to start talking about – and this is explaining the picture behind me then – if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, I am going to start talking about um, professional wrestling then. So in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there are regional professional wrestling um, all across the country. Regional professor professional wrestling like companies basically that yeah. are just servicing a small area. So it's either it's not scattered throughout the South, obviously. Some yeah. of it even in as far north as in the Rust Belt in Ohio or something like that, and then going a little bit west and stuff. And it's obviously gotten influenced with like Hispanic culture and things like that. And then we have one person who took it and made what is now almost a billion dollar a year industry out of it. Yeah. That being what became what was the WWF and became WWE. So behind me, that's their headquarters. And they really started infiltrating. American culture in the 80s when they started bringing wrestlers into movies and stuff. Right. And because before that, it wasn't really a thing. I mean, Hulk Hogan, the very first big superstar that came out of that. And yeah. everybody still knows who he is. And honestly, he's not... That wasn't anything special. When you look at him compared to The Rock, Hulk Hogan's not even fun to watch, but it was the first time anybody was exposed to that. This dude's also 6'8 and built... <laughs> And walking into Rocky. Right. And he's, you know, he's, he's big. He's got the, you know, the bleach blonde hair. You know, like he's, he was like the mold of what they wanted wrestlers to be or the perfect wrestler would be. I don't actually know the story of how all that started. Like what the idea was. Obviously, Vince McMahon, the founder, owner of wrestling, of WWE, is one of the most innovative businessmen that I can think of, to be honest. I mean, how do you take something that is that is honestly so stupid as a small regional professional wrestling company 
that probably didn't make more than a hundred thousand dollars a year or something like that if you were really 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 lucky and that was just doing well and take it and make it a global phenomenon that not only changes and creates a whole subculture within the united states but extends around the world to where people now need to want to imitate it and no one can do it as good as he does as a promoter somehow he turned this that into that and completely changed american culture right and it's it's insane how he did it too like i mean what was it what was the story he he bet everything on the first on the first wrestlemania everything he had right 1984 five yeah i think it was 84 right where now wrestling is a pay-per-view event. Right. And two years later, grew into selling out crowds of 90-some thousand people at once. Yeah. And this is before it was, this is before Monday Night Raw. It was not a weekly thing. I mean, if you even knew about it, that was already going to be kind of funny because, like, it's, there weren't many avenues to go seek it out. Right. So exposure and, levels were low. Right. Then you have the WrestleMania. And I mean, what was it? I think it was the first one was Paul Hogan and Mr. T against Rowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. And who's the other one? I forget who the other one was. But then you fast forward to WrestleMania 3 and you're selling out the Silver Dome for Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Right. Also, we're talking about things that like, the match wasn't more than eight minutes. Yeah. People buy tickets, pay for it on TV through fucking HBO and everything <laughs> to watch. I mean, the show ended up probably being two hours, but the main match you wanted to see was probably eight, ten minutes long. Right. Because Andre physically couldn't do any more than that. But then, okay, so we take that and then... They start putting people in movies and stuff like that. And then the 90s comes. And that entire attitude of wrestling and the and counterculture in general come just were like the perfect two things together. Oh, yeah. Then on top of that, you tie in the Monday Night Wars. And now you have another company who can, who can compete with them. Right. And they're both coming up with innovative ideas, how to make it, how to make wrestling more entertainable or watchable, you name it. They went balls to the wall on that. Both of them did. Right. But obviously in the end, at the end of the day. But when you think of 90s culture, you can't not include WWF. You can't not include the Monday Night Wars, Stone Cold creating his own new form of a wrestler, what a wrestler could be. And being just the biggest smart ass and F you to everything and having it work like that right then you no one's been able to imitate that since and that's why it's so special is because that formula worked the one time right then you also have the rock who becomes a global icon and he's probably still up there right now he's not even wrestling anymore no he's not but i mean like but such a good entertainer that just that had that avenue that started that way drew so much attention to it was able to go out and do his own thing and is still known for that Right. As big as The Rock is. I mean, it's just insane. So you have that, and then John Cena took it to a whole other level. 
Oh yeah, for sure. The ruthless, ruthless aggression, Aaron was. Uh, that was a fun time. <laughs> right, but that also introduces sort of like the idea of um, the audio branding that comes out of wrestling. So, I mean, everybody knows that you know, so over dramatic kind of soap opera fighting thing that happens within wrestling that for some reason people go insane over myself included and <laughs> when someone enters into a fight they literally have a theme song and it plays so much so often everywhere that everybody knows people that don't watch wrestling or don't aren't into it or understand or whatever are probably still gonna know john cena's theme song oh yeah for sure they're gonna know the rocks you hear that glass break, it's stone cold. Right. And a good number of people are going to know the church gong bell for when The Undertaker comes out. Exactly. So it's that kind of, and that is how they are staying relevant. They're going to need to change things because those people aren't even around anymore. But you right. have, they have such a huge platform now to just be this thing that no one ever would have guessed it would have been. No, for sure. Nobody would have thought the WWE would be what it is now. And that just shows you how innovative and how much they made a culture, a whole new culture in this country. It's insane. And right. they did it in what? 30, almost 40 years? So just because they aren't, they obviously don't have the biggest market cap out of any company by far. I would say that as far as influencing our culture, they they have got to be in the top 20 companies of all time that have been able to influence in that kind of a way. I mean, as much as Apple, I think, just because you don't own something that the WWE makes, you don't own an iPhone, you don't own a MacBook, you don't own this, you don't own that, doesn't mean that you are not influenced by that culture as much. Right. Now, I'm not saying that WWE is as influential as Apple is or as Amazon is, but I'm talking about those are the biggest, most influential things that we have going for us right now. Oh, yeah. But the WWE is absolutely up there. Oh, it hands down is. I mean, there's no genre of music that's like genres of music aren't a company like music is a whole different ballpark like just a company influencing and in, in, our time today i know <laughs> <sighs> it's been a week right but no a company that's been so influential to make a profit to bring new ideas all these other things, even some of the pyrotechnics. Hell, Vince McMahon created the X XFL, and that's where we get the sky cam now in college in the NFL is from the XFL. I didn't know that. Yeah. He takes he takes things like that to such a different level. Um, if you look at the way that wrestling has progressed from its on TV like presence and just yes. just spectacle in the first place. You take, you take WrestleMania three that had one little door, which is how they were able to cram so many people into the arena. But now it's 50-foot screens that are not projection screens anymore even. They're LED walls that are 
50, 100 feet tall by 500 feet, just wrapping the side of the stadium and going up in tiers, having entrance ramps that are also LED panels that are like 95 yards long, going from the top of a building, of a stadium, down to the floor where the wrestling ring is. They push the limits of technology as well. Oh, yeah. What is and and things get developed for that that can then be used for other things. And that's the other crazy thing. They're still filling NFL stadiums. Like, it's nobody's business. Right. I mean, and then they started, I don't know if you remember, they had WWE Studios. Yeah. That, that tanked. Well, yeah, when you realize Triple H wasn't the greatest actor. Not that he gets to Triple H, but. I actually thought the Kane's movie was pretty good. The Scene of Evil. Yeah. It was all right as a horror movie. Um, it didn't really fit the direction they were going in for PC. Right. But you that was what? also end of Ruthless Aggression, and that was okay. Yeah. Well, that's like, uh, I was actually slightly impressed, like, uh, in uh, Longest Yard, how deep, how well some of the guys, some of the former wrestlers that were in that movie did, like Stone Cold, Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Nash. Ray Kelly didn't have to do much. He just had to smash people. <laughs> well, I mean, you put someone who's seven foot two in there, what do you want him to do? He barely spoke English anyways when he came out to the ring. He well, still barely cool. does. He just likes to get all weird and sexual on Instagram. He's weird. Well, like the best line he had in the longest yard when Adam Sandler came back at the game, he goes, I'm glad you're back. Now I don't have to stab you. <laughs> Oh, that is great. Ah, I love this country. <laughs> I know. And the other thing that I want to point out, too, is when he's, when we're talking about expanding from wrestling to doing other things or getting into other, um, other avenues for exposure and things like that, one of the flags that's up on top of the building from whenever this picture was taken, because it's not the same thing anymore, has a price tag on it for $10. <laughs> Oh, what was it? Uh, signing up for something at WWE.com. Every, WWE Network. Was it WWE Network? Was it, it was something at WWE.com. Well, WWE Network was 10 bucks a month. Oh, there's something else they did before that. I remember they well, and he, that. Started, he started all that with 24-7. So it was WWE 24-7 when pay-per-views were still a thing. Because it was, hey, you could buy this channel on DirecTV that was WWE 24-7, which then they just played whatever they wanted and you could just watch it. It wasn't like you could pick things. And then when they came out with the network, and I want to say the network came out like 2016, then it's actually a searchable database, although it sucked so bad. I mean, worse than Disney Plus on Roku. And they do have thousands of hours of things for you to watch and stuff like that. So, so there are obviously limits to this guy's abilities to do things, but I mean, he doesn't lose sight of where he came from. He is still that trashy salesman that happens to have $2 billion that puts up a $10 for sale sign on top of his big building in Stamford, Connecticut, or Greenwich, Connecticut, where all of the rich people from big business and stuff live that have millions of dollars. This guy, this guy outdoes everybody because he's on the Forbes 400 and acts like that. I mean, you, I mean, you can't lie. Like, he kind of has fuck you money. <laughs> of, of course he has fuck you money. But, like, also, he has that fuck you attitude, and he should, I guess. Yeah. 
But like, there are just no limits to it. The only thing that he's getting weird about now is the Saudi Arabia stuff. Right. So that so that's sort of like the other thing of where outside of the United States, um, Japan has a huge independent circuit that is second to the United States, but no one knows about it. Right. You, you got to be really weird to want to watch what they do. Right. And I don't know how many, you know, a lot of people also realize that a lot of um, your WWE stars went over there to work, to get work in. Hogan. Um, right. Ric Flair, Ric Flair went back and forth there thousands of times. Um, Lesnar has been there. And there's a few other guys in the 90s that have been there. I'm just trying to remember who it was. Right. Um, um, AJ Styles got big there somehow. So, but And then when he came over, he was already older. Right. Um, I think that Shinsuke Nakamura was was over there. And when I say what those what those people do over there, it's not those people as in those Japanese people. It's those people as in at white hillbillies like Lesnar going over there to do shit before he decides he's gonna go to um UFC and beat everybody's ass. Right. Which he didn't even really didn't. His UFC record actually isn't really that good. It's like three to five or something. I'm not going to lie, though. I kind of like the look he's rocking now. Well, yeah, that, that weird logger look is, I mean, I kind of dig it, but at the same time, what the hell? I feel like he should let his hair grow a little bit longer because he's Viking braids. That's just me personally. I, I think that he's finally taking that transition to where he's now the older version of himself. Right. Because before this, he was still moving and acting like he was 30. Yeah. And bigger than everybody else. But now that he's had some time off, I think that he's toning it back a little bit. He looks a little smaller. I still wouldn't want to be the guy coming home, dropping his daughter off after a date. <laughs> like, sir, you're, I'm going like two miles an hour. And as soon as you dive out, I'm <laughs> right, right. I'm just gonna dump you out here. Yeah, I would not want to. Oh, man. Right. He would throw me through. He would throw me through like a wall. I mean, maybe take part of his house down with it. Right. <laughs> but again, professional wrestling as an as an American cultural artifact. Then when we look at them. And what they're doing in the Middle East, you have you have Vince McMahon, this dude who really belongs in a trailer park from North Carolina, that is now having dinner with the king of Saudi Arabia and his family, and totally okay with them hushing up journalists and stuff because, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, WWE's yearly gross goes from like. 800 million to 950 and COVID doesn't affect it at all, even though they can't go to state other stadiums. Right. Like it's so weird, but that's, again, that's the kind of fuck you money that have that he has when he also writes Donald Trump, a endorsement check for $10 million for his campaign. <laughs> it paid off. I love how those two guys are friends. And what, WrestleMania's five and six were at Trump Plaza? I think so. Back to back. 
which again was somebody else who is like Vince Trump using every medium to get exposed. Right. And he is the only president who's ever received the Stone Cold Stunner. That is true. And someone in the cabinet has been stunned a few times. What's that? I said then someone in his cabinet was given a stunner like a few times. Yeah. Linda McMahon was what she was head of um, small business, right? I think so. Yeah. I still, I still love that photo with uh, Trump and the McMahon that says, what was it? 60% of, this, of these people have been given a stone cold stunner, including the president. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's a bunch of people sitting in the Oval Office. <laughs> that is so funny. God, I love Stone Cold. Me too. So, right. So, it's, I mean, I just don't think that people think about that a lot. I don't think that people really consider professional wrestling as it's such a huge thing as it is. Right. As it is, and especially as it was when they think about things like that. And how much that actually in influenced and continues to influence our culture. Right. There and is no other wrestling promotion that's like that that started somewhere else. You can have foreign people come to WWE and they will do well there. Like that yeah. happens. But no one else has that formula for some reason, but this guy does. Yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, even if you think about like the Monday Night, the Monday Night Wars, like, yeah, WCW for a minute there had WWE on its heels, like truly had them on their heels. And right. Vince was like, basically like, we, we got to do something better than that, but we're, we're losing. We're going to lose this. Right. But then he also bought them. Right. Eventually, at the end of the day, he got the last laugh. Right, because he spent $400 million on buying his competition. Right, but they also burned that, burned, dug themselves into a giant hole. Right. Well, that's sort of what AEW is doing now. So if anybody doesn't know, AEW is obviously the main competitor to WWE right now. And it is owned by... That guy's not Saudi Arabian. Really? I don't think that he is. Because if he was, wouldn't that sort of go against whatever kind of agreement Vince has with, with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia? I don't know. But this is a guy who is Tony Khan who is super mega rich, more than Vince, from something else. I don't think that he... Oh, I, I, he's actually from Illinois, but his family isn't. Huh. Interesting. But I, I want to say this dude has like $7 billion. And Cody Rhodes is helping him. Wow. Uh, Cody Rhodes is such a dumbass. They're, they're from Pakistan. Uh, okay. I was going to say, Cody Rhodes is nothing like his dad. You don't know what hell time is. Dusty Rhodes, no. But the way that he's running that, he's poaching all the right people. But he's giving them way too much freedom. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. The, I mean, I turned it on one time, and they had a match going where, like, the ring was supposed to explode. It was so weird. It was like you you have the match, there's a time limit on it, and when the timer runs out, the ring is going to explode and what, kill you? It's going to rip you to pieces on TV? Like, right, it was going to be just fucking... 
there's just gonna be you know meat product just flying all over the arena like really so one of the guys that they had on there they tied up on the ropes that were like barbed wire or something because it's supposed to be edgy and i guess they're trying to make it more like the 90s again but it just wasn't working they ran out of the ring and this clock is going down and then sparks start going off on the ropes and that's it so what would the what was the point like what were we waiting for right like at least like do like an inferno match or something geez it's weird shit like that that makes no sense. So what? You beat the clock, and then what? You see some sparks. Yeah. Set somebody on fire. Like, let's go to the 90s. Set somebody on fire. Throw somebody through a burning table. Right. Actually, if you want to see that for free and not have to pay for it, just go watch videos of the Bills Mafia because they do that all the time. They're just way too experimental and try to do these things that don't make any sense. And then they take what were popular characters – and totally ruined. Right. One thing that Vince has always had going for him is that he's able to make characters like what? They're really, really bad right now. Yeah. And he keeps letting people go, but I can't say that. But from like an innovation strategy standpoint, I don't... They, WWE is one of the best. Oh, hands down. It's just really impressive. So that's really all I wanted to talk about. I mean, we can talk about all the stuff that's happening in it, and that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> right. So, anyways, I'm curious to think to know about what other people think about that. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting discussion. I'm always on talk some talk about some wrestling. <laughs> I'm always down for some wrestling. My actually, when I was a kid, my dad used to rent limos to take us from. If anybody even knows what Columbia Station is, to downtown Cleveland, which is like a 45 minute drive, we would rent a limo and then go downtown and go see wrestling. That's awesome. Do <laughs> you remember Alexander's, the restaurant that was on Lorraine? Yeah. Yeah, that's now like a dealership just lot where they shove stuff at. They used to rent out limos. They wanted you to come to the restaurant, but we rented them out and took them downtown to the Gundarina. <laughs> like I said, are we just are we call it like we could do like South Park, do some skeddy wrestling? <laughs> we could do some skeddy wrestling. There's always time for skeddy wrestling. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just want to see that in real life. I would pay money to see that. See skeddy wrestling? Well, they have the midget wrestling. All the same. There's a midget wrestling circuit that goes through so by Sandusky on the lake in Ohio. Oh. And I, th- I want to say they go down they go down through the south and stuff, too. That's weird. I told the cousin he should just wear a black singlet and just go in as Andre the Giant. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody would be up to my waist. Oh. Anyways, that's something that I've not seen, and I don't know if I want to or not. But anyways, it's it's another weird subculture that happens. But maybe one day they'll be worldwide. I mean, they tried with Hornslogger, and look at well that worked out. <laughs> right. He was in it for a minute, though. He was. Yeah. Wasn't he, the, wasn't he the GM of Raw for a minute? Like like a week. A week or now, like a month. Really was it a month? No, because I think that that was about the time when they were doing the celebrity guest appearances. Maybe. Which also was actually pretty cool. Yeah. 
Uh, and then they did that giveaway where they were giving away a million dollars a week. <laughs> Could you imagine? And because he, because Vince came out on stage and had a box full of cash, and would call people and be like, "You just won fifty thousand dollars." I thought that was awesome. And then he would take 50 grand out of the glass box that he had. And then throughout the night, it would just get, you know, depleted. Right. But that is just so cool. Like things like that, that you could either spend a million dollars on advertising, or you could just give the million dollars to people. Yeah. And it didn't last that long. I mean, he did that for like, maybe two months, but it was every week. It was like $8 million. Right. Yeah. Here you can just have it. Or uh, Donald Trump put like a million or two in the ceiling when he bought Monday Night Raw and then dumped it. How do you even get people to put it in the ceiling and then dump it? Like, how do you not trust? Like, how do you trust people to not take it? Right. Are you much cool shit I can buy with that? Right. Like, yeah. If I was one of the guys, because you have to do it across the entire roof of the building. Yeah. If you're just putting up bags up there of cash, then it is a literally two million dollars of cash that is supposed to get thrown on top of people for them to just take anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Like, part of me be like, eh, they could be all right with that one. <laughs> What's the difference if you take it? Right. Somebody's getting it. I don't believe that that was Donald Trump's money, though. I don't see him doing that. That was Vince's. Probably. That was, that came out of WWE's pocket. Most likely. Yeah. But, anyways, in lieu of um, dropping money from the ceiling, literally millions of dollars, he does other stuff. So, food for thought on all of that. That is our that was our big takeaway from um, American cultural artifacts that aren't just things that you find in the museum. Although one day professional wrestling stuff is going to make it to an actual museum, it just is, whether it's in a hundred years or not. Right. Um, but anyways, thanks everybody for for listening and for watching, and we'll be back next week. Yep, we'll see you guys.